When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? Mr. Shaka Cummings, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, welcome to F in Sports, the podcast with two teachers' great sports' biggest issues, Mr. Ainsworth. Happy NFL opening day to you, sir. Well, I should say opening Sunday. We did have a game on Thursday. How are you? I'm okay. I'm I'm in what we'll call recovering. It's always a rough day after the Rockets in the season, but you know that's the way it goes, and that's the way it is. A uh, good good thing football's on, which is a weird thing at the end of the playoffs, but football's on to help distract us all, I guess. So there's always that. How are you doing, Mr. Cummings? I am great. So we had our first football game on Friday. For the team that I coach here in Kentucky, we scored a touchdown with a little under 30 seconds left after creating an interception to get the ball back. And then we intercepted the ball with about 20 seconds left to clinch the game. We ended up winning. So I feel great. I'm the defensive coordinator. So when the defense plays well, we forced three turnovers. So it's all good for me. Um, and I none of my teams are expected to do anything anyway. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not worried about the end of the season. Nick's season been done a long time ago. So <laughs> uh, I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, how about we go ahead and hit folks with some gold stars and detentions? Do you have a gold star for us? Uh, yeah, my gold star is going to go to Osaka for her win the U.S. Open yesterday. I guess we record this on Sunday, so her win yesterday. Going down 6-1 in the opening set is obviously uh, not ideal, but the, like, resolve and intention and intentionality she went through the next two sets with was was pretty powerful to watch the other thing i'll say is that uh she was very intentional in her messaging uh 
being tied to the social justice that lots of athletes are tied to these days, right? When you play with such resolve, when you play with such determination, and you're also echoing these messages, I think those two things worked very, very well together. And she beat Victoria Azarenka, who is a very, very, very good player, and who's also a mom, which is, I mean, there's a lot of things that are going on in women's tennis that I don't think get enough publicity that are really, really kind of cool things. Like when Victoria Azarenka is playing Serena Williams, you got two moms playing against each other in the semis. Osaka, who comes out with this big win, she wore the Kobe jersey after every victory. So she was repping Kobe. If you follow her on Twitter, she talks about shout out to my ancestors because they gave me the strength to win. Like there's a lot of positive there. Lots of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my gold star is going to go to you, Mr. Ainsworth, because <laughs> after the Lakers victory last night, we had a text conversation, and I'm not going to lie. I was trying to poke the bear a little bit. I was like, hey, you're going to watch the fourth <laughs> quarter? And you're like, listen, I'm going to watch my team. And I was like, you know what? That's a very reasoned response, reasonable response. We did talk a little bit about Harden and what his legacy potentially will be with this particular loss. Now, I don't know that it's a big surprise that Houston was knocked out by one of the L.A. teams because the L.A. teams felt like they matched up well with small ball. And it's just tough because Harden hasn't had the finals appearance. He doesn't have the ring. And so historically, where do you rank him considering he's got an MVP? He's been top three in the MVP voting how many different times in his career? He Four feels like five. That's what I'm saying. He feels like this great player who... It's, is he going to fall into the Barkley category? Is he going to fall into the Malone category, the Patrick Ewing category, the Reggie Miller category? Like these guys who are historically great players, John Stockton, who don't get the ring. Like, is he going to fall there? Are we going to look beyond that? Of course, his career is not over. He could also win a ring as well. And so we just were having this conversation. And I thought you had a very reasoned approach. Now, there were a couple of times where I said you were too close to the forest to see the trees <laughs> as a Houston fan. But, I mean, for the most part, definitely very reasoned. Well, I mean, well, I could put a lot of rockets in detention for yesterday. I think my big thing keeps coming back to there's only one sport where winning is an individual stat, and that's pitching and baseball. And so that's why <laughs> that's why I sit, tend to, to think about team sports the way I do, I guess. But um, speaking of, of things not going our way, detentions I have for this week, um, <laughs> I open up with Odell Beckham Jr. And I'm probably going to get some flack for this because part of this is like what happens in his bedroom should stay in his bedroom, and it shouldn't yes. be up to him. Yes, it should. Whatever happened in his bedroom should have stayed <laughs> in his bedroom. I don't even know why we know about this. Well, and, it, you know, it's – not his fault that some Instagram model went out and started blabbing on whatever podcast she was doing or whatever, however, whatever clip that was from, I'm not really sure, but she went out there and talked about some very uh, gross, disgusting feces related details about the bedroom. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait a second here. Yes. It's, that's an invasion of like, she probably shouldn't be out there telling Odell's business, but Odell also needs to be watching who he's doing his business with. This person clearly wants the clout and clearly went out there and was like, I'm going to put my name on this. And he hadn't said a whole lot of things since. And there was a lot of uh, Cleveland Browns jokes to follow and Not things okay, like that. Not okay, by the way. Not okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's a really funny piece on Belly Up too, if you by Kev, if you want to go read that. But um, it's just it's not it's not really okay. Like 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 to share that, and that's fine. But also, you need to watch what you're doing, Odell. If you're gonna find some Instagram model to do this with. People making money on Instagram are all about clout and all about getting their name out there. Of course this was going to get out. Like, what were you doing? So detention for Odell for that one. Um, I'm not following up on that story. I'm just going to move on <laughs> to the next detention. I want to give a detention to our good friend Jay Johnson, 
who wait, wait, wait. you definitely should listen to Hardcore Honeys. You should definitely read everything that she puts out there on Belly Up. We had a little Twitter back and forth yesterday. She is the biggest Toronto Raptors fan I know. She the North is my nickname for her. Um, and <laughs> the Raptors go down to Boston, Game 7. The Celtics are going to advance to the conference finals. And I know that it's tough for Raptors fans. That being said, the tweet that she puts out <laughs> that I took issue with was one where she was trying to talk to the Toronto Raptors fan base and say, hey, you guys need to be more reasonable because Pascal Siakam didn't do as well in his first playoff series. And we can't talk about like trading him and stuff because the reality is there are other great players who have not performed as well in their first playoff series. And then she referenced number 23. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, this is a really bad take by a really smart basketball person. What you're saying is, hey, there were these expectations on Michael Jordan, and he was as great as he was down the road. We can't expect Pascal Siakam to kind of be that right away. Why are you comparing Pascal Siakam and Michael Jordan? Like, that's the issue, right? So that's the big thing with Pascal, right? As we saw a year ago, when he's your second best player, you're a very, very good team, right? When he's your best player, you're still really good, but you're not really the same team. And the reality is, isn't that Toronto? Part of what I just want to say to Toronto fans is, you got a chip. So just enjoy the chip. But don't misconstrue winning that chip as your team is something that it's not. Historically, your team has been a letdown in the playoffs. You got Kawhi and won the chip. And we could talk about four bounces and whatever, but you won it. So I don't want to – I'm like, I'm not the person who's going to talk about that. Oh, see, I'm the one that is – because my thought is on those four bounces is if it takes one less or one more bounce, do we even think of Pascal Siakam in the same – do we think of Kawhi Leonard in the same line? You know, like, like I, I think that he gets a lot of extra cushioning from having a deep playoff run last year, but that team's a whole different team with Kawhi Leonard on it last year. Like, obviously, they're not a bad team without him, but they were a whole different team. And the ball did bounce the right way, and they got the chip. So to me, I don't want to deal in alternate realities. I just deal in the reality. And so now when I look at this year and I look at Toronto, Toronto had an incredible year. They made a deep run in terms of getting to Game 7 in the conference semifinals against a Boston team that – I picked to go to the finals. They gave them more than I thought they was going to give them. Frankly, you know, again, we could talk about lots of things. If, if Taco Fall tips a ball game three, we could things might be different, right? And maybe they get swept out of that thing. But they didn't. They dealt with their reality, made it to game seven. I just want to, you know, congratulate Toronto for the things that they've done and acknowledge that their history doesn't go away. And so when you talk about Pascal Siakam and you try to put any comparison with Michael Jordan, it's a ridiculous comparison. He's not that. He's never going to be that. So why even mention that? What you should mention is, hey, we have this all-star player. We have this veteran all-star point guard who really has showed up in the last two years in terms of the playoffs where he didn't in his entire career prior. And like right. say – Hey, we got Masai Ujiri, who's a great builder. We have Nick Nurse, who's the coach of the year. And just be happy with what you got and talk about what you're going to do there. The moment that you evoke the name of Michael Jordan, it's just dumb. Because it doesn't matter what your point was. It's only a comparison to Michael Jordan, which Pascal Siakam never wins. He's going to lose. That's well, and, that's, and it's also not fair to Pascal because 
we've said here, you know, talking about how he's not Michael Jordan for a long time. Also, no one else to ever play the game has been Michael Jordan. Like Thank that's you. not that's just not Thank that's you. just not fair to him because he can be really good and not be Michael Jordan. LeBron James is really good and also not Michael Jordan. Like like there are lots of players that are really really good and not Michael Jordan. That's every, not a not every player that's ever played. Each- is not Michael Jordan. Like, that's the thing. So why even bring that name into the conversation? Mr. Ainsworth, <laughs> uh, how about your next attention, sir? My next attention, go- and I've tried to figure out ways to turn this into a thesis, honestly, just to have more time to talk about it. So I don't mean to take the goal stars and attentions to take too long. But my next attention goes to Skip Bayless for his comments on Dak Prescott in the middle of this week. And I, I think part of the reason it was so hard, so hard to make this into a thesis was because it's not really any argument on his side. Um, there's no like arguable statement like a thesis typically would be. This is just wrong. And and I don't. And I honestly, when I saw it, I tweeted out like, "This is fireable." Um, in 2020, we take account of people's mental health. Mental health is health, right? And so Skip Bayless in the middle of the week questioned Dak Prescott's ability to be a leader of a football team because. He had dealt with, you know, depression and mental health issues following the death of his uh, brother, you know, who succumbed to, to depression and suicide. And so I I just I don't understand how in 2020, when for the last several years we've had, and I guess they are in the NBA and Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan and, and some really powerful guys that have opened up about their own mental health. But um, we've seen that these folks are are human, right? The idea that this was somehow a weakness or a detractor or anything that could de- take away from his ability to lead a team as opposed to the exact opposite, right? Because Dak Prescott speaking to a locker room of 53 pros and other 20 something practice players. So 75 other men, his age or roughly his age or in the same, whatever they're living the same life as him. And he's out there saying like, guys, I've dealt with this thing and I am dealing with this thing. And as the leader of this football team, that's what I've been going through. And other guys on that team could very well be doing the same thing, right? That's so many other human beings doing living their own lives that could have very, very similar circumstances that we don't know about, right? Because we don't know about all of them that aren't the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, right? And so that he could take on this idea of like, this is a weakness or this is somehow detrimental to his role as the quarterback of the Cowboys is not only ludicrous, it's just deaf. And it, it, it misses so much of what the progress of mental health and athletes has come to. We just talked about in the last two weeks, Paul George being like in this bubble, all I can do is get on social media and see what everyone's saying about me. It's really, really detrimental to my life. I have to like turn that stuff off to get away from it. Anyway, I, I can go on and on and on. But the reason I don't think we come up with a thesis for it, this was just wrong. And, you know, Fox Mortz has several guys on their network that I could talk about being wrong about a lot of things and could fire for this and the other. But I, I don't understand how he's sitting here with a job. And I and I don't I, I haven't really understand how he had a job when he was debating LeBron's greatness as a basketball player many, many years ago. But this is different. This is not this is a very, very different issue. And I'm not really sure how he ever comes back from that one. It's Skip Bayless. This is what Skip Bayless does, right? He wants clicks. He wants attention. Awesome. You got the attention and you come off like a jerk. So if that's your deal, that's fine. The reality is this is what Skip Bayless has been forever. Like from the time he was with ESPN, this is why I didn't enjoy watching first take. He is who he is. I, what I don't believe in all honesty, Parker, I don't believe that he believes what he says most of the time. I think that he believes that there's a character that he's supposed to play, and so he plays to that character, which is fine. 
But just understand that the same energy that you bring to playing to that character, other people are going to bring to criticizing you and that character. Why do we Why do companies continue to put you on television? If they want to put people that will yell about sports on television, there are two teachers sitting right here that are making teacher salaries. You wouldn't have to beat it by that much. No, like, you like, pay us <laughs> a whole lot less than you pay Skip <laughs> Like, like, like I don't, I don't get why people pay to watch him yell about sports because he's not insightful. He's not like offering analysis, and he's just cruel to the athletes. I just don't get it, man. Speaking of two teachers who yell about sports and who basically are going to come down on the same side of an argument, um, let's talk about my final detention, which goes to Mr. Daniel House, who <laughs> decided that in the bubble, he needed a little bit more than what the NBA could offer. He ended up violating some of the bubble rules, and I believe it was game three when it came out that right now he is suspended, and then eventually he got kicked out of the bubble. So apparently what happened with Daniel House is that he tried to invite one of the COVID testers into his room, and it wasn't just to have milk and cookies, if you know what I'm saying. So the NBA finds out about this. This is a clear violation of what behavior is acceptable in the bubble. I, I think it even came out that he might have been reported by like the player snitch line, but I digress. He got reported. He got in trouble. He ended up being suspended for the series, thrown out of the bubble. Houston loses that series in five games. You think they could have used another three-point shooter coming off the bench? Probably. What happens to his career from here on out? Because I imagine that Houston doesn't want to keep him. So now I don't know who's going to pick him up. And then there's all these pictures of like him and his family on the internet. And they look like this happy family. He, his wife, three kids. I I just hope that it was all worth it, Mr. House. And well, as a Houston Rockets guy, like, I don't know that he wins game five or that he, you know, he himself alone would have helped win game four, but there was a series of, you know, a series about four minutes to start the fourth quarter with the bench unit for both teams and that Rondo takes over the start of game three. That is his time to shine. And he, he has proven time. He's a 12 points a game kind of guy. He shoots nearly 40% from the three point line. Harden himself said it last night after the, the game five, the distraction in itself took a toll because the Rockets, until all of the details came out, were adamantly defending him. So as we continue on with the podcast, God, Daniel House, such an idiot. Um, as we continue <laughs> on with the podcast, we're going to talk NBA. We're actually going to do our conference finals preview. So uh, we are going to make one big assumption because right now, um, as we record, the Clippers are up 19 points on Denver. I assume that we're going to go ahead and advance the Clippers. So we're going to have the LA LA conference final. So I'm just letting Parker know that on pod so um we <laughs> will talk uh nba conference finals previews and then we'll talk about the best opening in terms of the nba because Woj bombs are dropping as we speak and i'm sure mr ainsworth is gonna have an opinion on some of those i don't so now like i'm asking this question genuinely mr ainsworth are you ready to go sir i'm ready if you are shaka <laughs> Okay, Parker, so the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we, we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But... You're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the 
oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it helps <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth. Let's talk NBA. Let's talk conference finals. Let's talk about the Lakers versus the Celtics. Maybe. Uh, our thesis statement. <laughs> For the 13th time in NBA history, the NBA finals will feature the Los Angeles Lakers versus the Boston Celtics in 2020. So, Mr. Ainsworth, how do you feel about that thesis statement? I'm at like a B minus. I think I'm B minus on the thesis. What do you think, Mr. Cummings? I think that the fact that you're at a B minus is an upset because I definitely thought you were going to fail it. I'm going to go A plus <laughs> because that was what I predicted weeks back. So, my teams are in it. I think that they're both still going to get to the final. So, I'm going to go A plus on that. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth. So now we get to do our conference finals preview. For the 13th time, the NBA finals will feature the Los Angeles Lakers versus the Boston Celtics here in 2020. You went B minus on that, which I'll be honest, I thought you were going to go lower because I feel like you probably think Miami could be Boston. So I'm just curious as to what your thoughts are there. Well, I, I want B minus or C plus. Or, I, want, I was thinking somewhere in there in the middle because I actually, obviously, like, I think I agree with half of it. I think the Lakers win the West. Um, I don't bet against LeBron because LeBron, when he makes the playoffs, he obviously got hurt and missed it last year. But when he makes the playoffs, he's been in the finals every year since 2010, right? And so I, I'm just not, unless he gets hurt, I'm not betting against him. <laughs> so that's my, that's my take out no, West. That's fair. And, and we'll we'll dive more into that in a second. Out East, which brings my grade down from an a, you know high A down, is I don't know that I'm picking Boston. I don't know that I think Boston is quite deep enough to beat what Miami does. I think some of the stuff Miami does will give Boston trouble. When in doubt, bet on Pat Riley. But I, I will say it, that the idea that there's a 13th possible meeting between two franchises in the NBA Finals, like that is a crazy, crazy rivalry. Probably some conspiracy theorists kind of work out there as to why that would be happening again. <laughs> um Frankly, if that happens, we're looking at some some altered legacies as well. So it's going to require a couple guys playing very, very well. Before I get into why I think the Heat can beat the Celtics, and I think we're going to focus on this one because this is the side of the bracket we disagree on, um, what made you pick them several weeks ago that you're still noticing or that has there been something changed in the last couple weeks that makes you feel stronger about it? Nothing has changed that makes me feel stronger. If anything, the thing that scares me to death is Jimmy Butler and how well he's played in the playoffs. I actually wrote an article, gosh, months ago, pre-pandemic, around the All-Star break, kind of doing uh, NBA awards for Belly Up. And I said that the MVP was going to be Giannis at that time. But I said the guy who should win the MVP that's not going to, because we basically picked the same five guys to talk about, is Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler, back then, had Miami doing things that were incredible. And he's only come into the bubble It really solidified my perspective there, including taking out the guy who is probably going to win the MVP in Giannis. What Jimmy Butler has done in Miami is incredible in terms of that resurgence. And I know I want to give the credit to Jimmy Butler. I know you want to give a ton of credit to Bam Adebayo, so I'm not going to deny that because that's a UK guy. He deserves some of that credit (laughs) as well. What he was able to do defensively 
against Milwaukee's bigs because he hedges on Giannis, right? But he also has to deal with the Lopez brothers when they go down low. And anyone who comes to the basket, he's the interior presence that's trying to swat your shot. So what Bam Adebayo was able to do in terms of anchoring that defense, I thought was incredible. They're getting big shots from Tyler Hero, another UK guy, from uh, Duncan Robinson. So, like, this is a team that feels like they're hitting the stride at the right time. They're scary because Jimmy Butler fears no man. Spolstra, as a coach, has rings, so he knows what it takes this time of year to be successful. So it's scary. And, oh, by the way, it's not the full-go Boston Celtics. Gordon Hayward is not playing. So it's not even Boston at full straight still. Now, what caused me to say, hey, Boston, I think that they're going to be the team in the finals, is this level of success that they had two years ago. I honestly felt like the disruptor to their success was Kyrie Irving last year. So now you got rid of that disruptor. It made sense to me that they would revert back to what I saw <laughs> two years ago. And it feels like they have. When you watch them play, Kemba Walker comes in and adds what Kyrie was supposed to in terms of a ball handler, someone who can initiate offense, someone who can get his own shot. But the deal with Kemba is he's going to also initiate offense for other players. Like It's not just like him trying to go one-on-one in this isolation for 10 seconds. If he gets into the lane and you collapse, he's, he's kicking the ball out. He, I mean, all of a sudden... Daniel Dice is, like, hitting shots and whatnot. So that's a function of the offense working really well. Uh, Marcus Smart has stepped his game up tremendously. So Incredible. Just uh, incredible. Uh, the Boston feels, to me, still like a team on the come that's going to make the finals. It feels like they have a point to prove as well because they felt like two years ago they should have beat LeBron. And I know you want to tell us how good Miami is, so go ahead. I'll give you some time. <laughs> well, I think that the reason I see Miami as a tough matchup for them um, – Obviously, you talked about Bam and Jimmy and, you know, Hero is a UK guy, so I obviously shouted him. Um, and shout out to Duncan Robinson, former D3 athlete. I know he transferred up divisions a little bit as he went on, but former D3 athlete, go Duncan Robinson. The thing I, I look at Miami and see is actually other guys. I see Crowder and Iggy and these big, strong, tough guys that can, like, they can throw different looks and bodies and frankly, different guys to get their six fouls at the Tatums, at the Browns, at those guys. Um, and I love watching Jaden Brown play, but he's not exactly a big body. And I think that that's part of what they, A, did against Giannis, right? Now, like, obviously Giannis doesn't do as much with the ball. He's much more about explosive athleticism as far as, as opposed to, like, ball handling, skill on fadeaway jump shots that Tatum does. But the way they beat Giannis is that they threw a bunch of those thick, long, wing defenders at him. And then... You've got Bam, who has shown, at least against the Lopez brothers, like you're saying, that he can do a good job of both getting to the rim and protecting it and closing out on a three-point shooter. So if you've got a, a you know Daniel Tice out there or whatever that can hit you know one out of every four threes or whatnot, whatever it is, he can get out there to him. I think that the other thing that has been obvious to me in watching the Heat play, though, is that long layoff did wonders for Goran Dragic. Right? They show up in the bubble... They start Kendrick down a couple games, or whatever it is, and then it it, it kind of has to has to switch to Dragic after an injury, or whatever it was, and now Dragic is playing, and Dragic is playing at a different level than he was during the season, but it's also he's playing after 
four months off as an older player, right? And and he's playing, you know, very efficient basketball, running very good offense. And we've seen Dragic play very well before at younger parts of his career, but he didn't necessarily have the teammates around him. And now he's got some strong teammates around him. There was the quote at one point in the, I think it was game one of the Buck series when Jimmy had 40 and he just like looked at his players in a timeout with like five or six minutes to go. And the quote was like, guys, I'm not really going to pass the ball anymore. I'm just going to shoot. <laughs> and, <it's> like, <laughs> and there might've been an expletive or two in there too, but it was like, it was like, Oh, he's, he's going to do that. And if Jimmy can be that guy, then they have that guy. They have all of these defenders. They have versatile guys. Boston's coming off a seven game series that they probably thought they had in the bag with, 0.6 seconds left in game three like <laughs> so I, I think that that there's some aspect of getting worn out too i see miami having more options to go with and i think that's important in this bubble playoff like we're gonna we can bash my houston rockets when we get to the western conference if we want to but the the rockets play one style of basketball once you figure it out they were kind of stuck right and whether you're oklahoma city or you're la once they figured out the Rockets, the Rockets are kind of in trouble. And once you figure out the Heat, they can throw out a different look. And and that kind of keeps you on your toes a little bit more. Um, and it's hard to do that when you're playing a game every 48 hours. So It's interesting because when I look at Miami, one of the advantages that I think Boston has is versatility and depth. Boston is going to play 10 guys even though Gordon Hayward's hurt. Miami might play nine. Crowder's going to play, Adebayo's going to play, Drogic, Hero. They're going to play Jimmy Butler. Like, some of these guys, like, I don't know how many minutes Kelly Olenek's going to get. We'll see. Kendrick Nunn. It's not that these guys don't play. Obviously, they do. I'm just curious as to their roles in this particular series. So, for instance, what's Kendrick Nunn's role going to be if he's struggling shooting? Because he can't guard Tatum, he can't guard Brown. So now, where do where does he fit? I'm just curious as to what happens with Miami. Obviously, they've had a lot of guys who have stepped up their play, right? If Duncan Robinson is goes cold shooting threes, what's his role in the series? He's probably got to stay on the bench because he can't guard, right? His plus minus is, my threes are worth more than your two, so I'm always be plus one. Right? That's his plus right. minus. You mentioned kind of the versatility that comes with Miami. And when I look at Miami, I would say that one of the pieces to consider is that Boston's going to roll out at least 10 guys. While Boston may play a lot of guys, what I was trying to get at more, I guess, I'm sorry I wasn't clear, is that they all, like the Celtics will play like more or less one style of basketball. Like it's not, it, it's very much this drive and they typically have a Williams or it's been Williams in the playoffs, but it's more typically been uh, Daniel Dice down there to drop the ball off to. You know, I guess there was times it was Enos Cantor, but I think everyone's seen that Cantor can't really play defense in the playoffs at a, he still at a good might, clip. He still might play in this series only because Grant Williams is so small in terms of yeah. height against Bam that it feels like you might use Enos and just understand that he's a liability on defense. Yeah, well, and and I think Robert Williams has shown some toughness to him, but I, I don't necessarily know that he's a good matchup for Bam either, like you're saying. Um, I I just don't know how. Man, I just, I just don't I don't I don't know how it changes what they do, right? Like how much you can play Brad Wanamaker, but he's really not going to change what they do on the floor versus when Miami changes lineups, like you're saying they're about 9 deep as well. When they change lineups, their style of basketball changes. And so, if you're on the floor and you're doing your coverage assignment, 
all of a sudden you got to know that now instead of dropping on this pick and roll, I got to, you know, trap there. And those kind of things change and that that's difficult. Feels like a seven game series regardless, right? Doesn't this feel like it's it's going seven and game seven is going to be knocked down, drag out. It it feels like, hey, if Jimmy Butler is really that level, he's going to elevate his team, get them to the finals. If Jason Tatum is taking the next step, he's going to elevate his team and get them to the finals. I'm looking forward to this seven-game series because I firmly believe it's going to be that. I just believe that Boston is going to prevail in the end. So I'm curious as to your official prediction, Mr. Ainsworth. I would say Miami in seven um, because I know Boston's really good. I will say if Boston wins in seven, that probably necessitates Jason Tatum taking it up in even even another notch, right? Because he'll have to match the intensity of Butler while also leading them in several statistical categories. And so that will be a, I don't, it's not that I don't think he'll ever do in his career. It's just where he might've done that at 24 or 25. He's got to do that like this week. Right. And so, um, <laughs> I don't know if you're tracking this Clipper game. When you guys are going to listen to this podcast, it's going to be Monday, Tuesday. When you listen, we're recording Sunday afternoon. And I kid you not at the beginning of this podcast, the Clippers were up 19. The Clippers are now only up five with about three minutes, 50 seconds left to go in the third. It is 73-68. So now we're about to talk about the Clippers playing Lakers, and I am not sure that the Clippers are even going to win game six. I do think that the Clippers are going to prevail in that series, and I do think that the Lakers are going to best the Clippers, and what I'm going off of there is really LeBron. I think that (laughs) LeBron is not going to lose in the conference finals. Now, if he's going to lose, if somebody's going to beat him, it's Kawhi, right? Kawhi is the dude who, listen, when free agency rolled around this summer, Kawhi had the option to go to the Lakers. And he said, I'm not going to go play with LeBron. I'm trying to beat LeBron, right? He's done it. He has an NBA Finals MVP from his time in San Antonio when he's a rookie because of his defense on LeBron. Now, people can go back and look at the statistics in that series and You might have some questions about what he was able to do defensively against LeBron. But know this, if you watch those games, it felt like Kawhi definitely impacted what LeBron was able to do. And by the end of that series, he was a 20-point-per-game scorer. Like, San Antonio had something. The the interesting thing about Kawhi's 2014 Finals MVP is I actually liken it a lot. Oh, I'm sorry. Hold on, Mr. Ainsworth. It is 73-72. This game is crazy. I got the score. I got the score going on the back right now. Um, but what I will say is one thing I think is interesting with Kawhi's 2014 Finals MVP and Iguodala's 2015 Finals MVP is it seems like both guys got the MVP for holding LeBron to like absurd numbers defensively. He, he still dropped absurd numbers on them, but defensively they like kept him from winning the series on his own. Right, like he still got thirty-five plus. He still got in the twenty fifteen series against Iguodala, he got like thirty-five, twelve, and eight, or something like that. Right, like just a crazy statistical line. But the defense was just enough to keep him from winning the series, and so he Iguodala gets the MVP. I, I feel like Kawhi's twenty fourteen felt very similarly. You know, I have a very, I have three jerseys hanging in the room. I'm spinning it right now. One is Michael <laughs> Jordan. One behind me is LeBron, and one to the left of me is Akeem Olajuwon. Like, like I maybe that's maybe missed my own bias in having LeBron as one of my guys, but. That also it's felt intri- like a cry for a PJ Tucker jersey for the holiday season. So oh. if anyone's listening, <laughs> he'll take one of those. I ha- I have a PJ Tucker Texas jersey, actually number two at Texas back in the day, but a black Houston one would be sweet to anyone who wants to donate <laughs> to the pod. Um, the interesting thing when I look at this game we're you know recording during with the Clippers and Nuggets is the funny thing to me is exactly what's happening in this game 
is why I would pick the Lakers over either team. Obviously, I'd pick the Lakers or the Nuggets because they're a better basketball team than Nuggets, right? And I don't, I don't think I'm breaking any eggshells with that one. They're a better They're, version of the Nuggets. Like the right. Lakers can do what the Nuggets do better than the Nuggets can do what the Nuggets do, in my opinion. Right. They're both big teams. Both can run. Their bigs can shoot. And and so I think that they're both very, very similar basketball teams. The Lakers are, are just better. But the this this lull in the Clippers that is came up it came up last game it came up in game two it's coming up as we you know this game that's going on as recording right now LeBron's gonna exploit that LeBron's like that's not gonna be okay that's not good enough and it's the same got team that has guys that load manage that has guys that take games off that has guys that go get chicken wings from a strip club on the way back to town like like those to be kinds fair of the things, wings are named after him <laughs> oh I'm. You're talking to a guy that, you know, drowned his tears last night in wings and truly. Like, I totally get why wings are good food. <laughs> Those kinds of things are things LeBron will take advantage of. And I'm not saying that that means Kawhi is not a good basketball player or that Paul George is not a good basketball player or that any of those guys. If anything, I think Zubak is probably an underrated basketball player, right? They have some really good, talented basketball players. But those are the kinds of things that LeBron will take advantage of because LeBron is LeBron. Like, there's just no other way to put it, right? The thing that LA did in the Houston series that is also not getting a lot of talk because it seems like with you now we're going to get to coaching stuff in a minute, but with the the Houston talk has been more about what they need to change. Their bench played unreal, and Rondo went for twenty and ten a couple times, right? And if they're going to get twenty and ten out of Rondo, you can't beat them. Like I, I don't really care who you are. Like if Rondo's going to come off the bench as a six man and give you twenty and ten. You're done. Like that's just the way it is. That I don't care who you've got in Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell. Lou, Rondo coming in for twenty and ten on top of having LeBron and Davis. You're done. You're done. It doesn't really matter. Playoff Rondo is a thing, and like people were laughing at it at the beginning of the playoffs as if they forgot like that he was the lead dog on a championship team. Like he was the point guard the year Boston wins that championship, and we talk about you know the Boston three party right with uh, Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and Ray Allen, but. Those guys will tell you that Rondo was as important as anyone else who was on that team to that championship. And if you ask Doc Rivers, Doc knows because Doc coached that team. So now Doc coaching the Clippers, he knows exactly what Rondo brings to the table. Um, especially like when you start wanting to talk about like playoff P, whatever, man. Playoff Rondo is a real thing. And <laughs> when I look at the Lakers, I mean, again, the Clippers are a bad matchup for anybody because there's no style that you can play that they can't, and that they can't play well. You want to decide that you want to go big? They could throw Zubak at center and then put Montrez Harrell at the four and then play Paul George with Kawhi Leonard and then Patrick Beverly at the point, right? If you decide you want to run up and down the floor, hey, we're going to try to score 140, all of a sudden Lou Williams is going to play 35 minutes that day, right? So whatever it is that you want to do, they can do, they can match you, and they've got great players who can do those things. It's not asking these guys to step too far out of what they do. Now, what they don't have is LeBron, and that's always the X factor to me because he I've seen it too often that his greatness elevates everyone around him to the point that he's able to win series and compete in series that when I look at it logically, I don't think that he should be able to compete in. If you say to me, who are the best players in this series, right? LeBron and AD are in there. Paul George and Kawhi are in there. How many more Clippers do you say before you get to the next Laker? And LeBron somehow seems to negate that fact. The fact that you might say four or five Clippers before you get to the next Laker. Le it doesn't matter. LeBron just elevates these other guys so that all of a sudden Caruso 
is a factor in the series. Kyle Kuzma is a factor in the series. Rondo is a factor in the series. And now you're like, what happened here? We are a better team. Well, that dude is so good that it doesn't matter that your team was better. He does a great job of doing what the team needs, and that was no more evident than in the Houston series when they moved him to the four and were running the small ball lineup of sorts, right? When he moved to the four, he started blocking a bunch of shots, and he started doing things that a traditional big would do. And I think the other interesting thing is that you, you bring up he raises the game of other players. He is very obviously, in each stop, he's been very actively involved in putting dudes around him. And he finds guys with the mental makeup, or at least that he thinks of the mental makeup, that can take that kind of pressure. Because, like, there are times where you see Caruso. Caruso, here, I, I started to break eggshells again for anyone that's paying attention. Caruso and Kuzma aren't very good at basketball unless they're playing with LeBron James. Like <laughs> they were had a on the season a couple of years ago. Kuzma did have a good season. A few Man, years back. if those guys are not playing with LeBron James on the floor, they ain't very good. Like I've seen them <laughs> play ball. Caruso played at A and M. Like they, these guys are not, you know, tremendous talents with the basketball in their hands. But when LeBron has the ball in his hands. Stuff steps up, right? Whether it's the defense focus on LeBron makes it easier for them, or they understand their role, and they're like, my role is to hit a three right now when I get the ball in my hand, whatever it is. Like, Caruso hits a big three at the end of game three that seals it as a dagger. Houston had cut it to two and was kind of on a roll, and there was a driving kick from LeBron to Caruso that won the game, or sealed the game, I should say, because they were up. But they those guys make those kinds of plays. Or if you watch Kuzma's game winner in the earlier part of the bubble, it's because Davis and LeBron absorbed all of the defense, and Kuzma's wide open. <laughs> they they benefit a lot and step up when asked. And as much as I consider and tell you that they're not great, they're good enough when those guys are on the floor. If I think that the Lakers can beat the Clippers, I don't even need to get into what I think they can do with the Nuggets. Well, so, so I, I'm, I think I'm going to quickly try to talk about both of those teams, right? So, like, if the Clippers are the team, which I'm anticipating that they will be, I still think the Clippers are going to pull this game out. It's Kawhi. And can he elevate to a level that offensively and defensively he basically cancels out LeBron or takes LeBron into – can he do what he did in San Antonio this year? Because if he could do that again, then it might disrupt the Lakers enough that the Clippers are able to pull this thing out. Again, the Clippers are a bad matchup for everyone. And there's a reason why they're the favorite to win the title this year according to most Las Vegas odds. So when you look at a guy like Kawhi, you look at a guy like Paul George, you look at Harold, you look at Lou Williams, you look at Patrick Beverly, you look at all the pieces that they have that they can bring together. The advantage that the Clippers have is, once again, after you get past the four top guys, you're going to list a lot of Clippers names before you get to the next Laker in terms of who's the best players in the, in the series. So the depth of the Clippers feels like it's something that could impact the Lakers, especially the longer the series goes. But you are talking about Clippers where, like, Kawhi has had to load manage and kind of finish the playoffs with the bump quad last year. And Paul George has had a couple of his own injuries that are, you know, obviously catastrophic and crazy. But, like, his body his body is not young. And and they're currently losing at the start of the fourth quarter. Like, they're not exactly... Oh my God. <laughs> they're, like, they will potentially have to have played two more games just to get to the Lakers. And so... I think that the the depth thing could be a double-edged sword because while they have more depth, they're not exactly like guys that have run through their careers healthy and injury-free. So now let's talk Nuggets. 
because they are actually winning this game. <laughs> and <laughs> obviously, if they they the Nuggets, if they could pull this out, and now it's all of a sudden a game seven. Anything could happen in a game seven. If they win two, three, if they win first and second round with three one comebacks, that's that would be wild. amazing, right? And I don't think that that would have happened before in NBA history. I don't think any team is like three one comebacks are rare. No team's done it twice in the same postseason. I don't believe we'd have to go and check that. Um, the Nuggets, what they would offer in terms of a challenge to the Lakers, to me, Jokic becomes a huge deal, right? Because you have to deal with him and his playmaking ability. And the fact that he is the offensive initiator, the piece with Jamal Murray and where his game has elevated to in these playoffs becomes something that's incredibly relevant. I also think that the Nuggets are a deeper team than the Lakers as well because they bring Michael Porter Jr. off the bench. And people got onto him after talking about, hey, I need more shots. But then he steps up. Like they got him some more shots, and all of a sudden he's scoring points in the playoffs. So the Nuggets, in terms of the depth that they have, and they have the kind of depth that's scary because they're the biggest team in the NBA. So they can actually out-physical you as well. And maybe that's a strategy to try on LeBron. We know that the Celtics... Years back when they had Kevin Garnett, felt like that was how you beat LeBron, right? Just bang him. I'm not betting against LeBron because LeBron elevates everything. And even though you might have a lot of depth, he's that level of great. And what I would say is that the two best players in the series still feel like they both play for the Lakers. The the Nuggets-Lakers is just it's a deal where they're overmatched. And this, I would say they're overmatched against the Clippers, except... The Clippers, very clearly, as I talked to about why I think they could they would lose to the Lakers, they fall asleep at times and they kind of coast at times. LeBron doesn't do that in the playoffs. Like LeBron does not coast. LeBron has lost plenty of NBA final series, and you know, in the early part of his career, lost in the conference final several times. He has not lost because he is coasting. That is not how you beat LeBron. You don't take advantage while the guy is coasting. And so I, I just don't see the Nuggets taking advantage of that in the same way that they could take advantage of it against a young Utah team or against this Clippers team. Okay, Mr. Cumming, sticking in the NBA, but looking more to the offseason, which has started for some teams like my Houston Rockets earlier than others, um, we're looking at vacancies, specifically head coaching vacancies. So the thesis reads, of the current NBA head coaching vacancies, the Philadelphia 76ers are the best opportunity. So... I think I'm going to go like C plus, but there's this variance in there. It depends on what happens with the entire Philadelphia organization. And I do think that there's openings that some might consider better. And let me just say that the Nuggets are now up five. So there's one opening that might come open if the Clippers (laughs) can't come back in this thing that folks might think is better as well. How about you, Mr. Ainsworth? What do you think? I give it a fairly low grade. I'm thinking like, C plus, um, so I do pass it. I guess the kid's eligible, but I, I give it a C plus. I think. All right, Mister Cummings. So uh, we're looking at head coaching candidates, and you bring up the Doc Rivers situation <laughs> that may be tenuous, but without going too far ahead, uh, what are you what are you thinking? Uh, I'm thinking that Doc Rivers is teetering, uh, <laughs> but. <laughs> Of the current NBA openings, right? So Philadelphia 76ers, a current opening, that's a squad that still has Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And so obviously it's a great opening because you have those two star players and you know you need at least a couple of guys if you're going to compete for championships. The thing that's scary there is it still feels to me, and I know that every time I say this, Parker points out, hey, those guys are young, give them time. It feels to me when I watch them that – 
they don't gel. And this playoffs, Ben Simmons is hurt, so I don't know that I should extrapolate too much from this particular playoff in 2020 in the bubble. That being said, they don't look like they play well together. They don't look like they fit. They want to occupy similar spaces on the floor because Ben Simmons doesn't want to shoot. And so I don't know how those two guys fit together. So if I'm a coach coming in and I'm thinking about what I need to do, I don't know that that looks that attractive to me, especially if I don't have some say in what's going to happen in terms of that front office situation. Because if Elton Brand is making all the decisions, and that's a whole weird deal too where Elton Brand's making the decisions because they fired Brian Colangelo, but then all Colangelo's staff I think is still there. And so Elton Brand, anyway... Philly's situation feels like a weird one that isn't just about my X's and O's on the floor. We have to figure out what we're going to do with Embiid and Simmons. I look at a team like New Orleans, and I say, give me that Zion Williamson. Give me the the Drew Holiday. Give me Lonzo Ball. Give me Brandon Ingram. Right? I want those guys. They're young, and I can build them together, and they feel like what NBA basketball has evolved into. If you talk about organizations, Oklahoma City is open. That feels like a great organization to walk into. The Houston Rockets, they're open because Mike D'Antoni, as we were doing this podcast, went to Houston and said, hey, I'm done. Um, you can't fire me. I quit. Um, well, I guess he uh, his contract was up, right? <laughs> I so say he just said he's not going to I'm not, not going to resign with yeah. you guys. So the Chicago Bulls is interesting because they have a lot of young players. And I think that they're young talent. Like, I want to say they're talented. But that's a whole interesting deal, too, where they're – there's a new GM that's coming because they got rid of Paxson. So what's this? What's the whole situation going to be there? You got a bunch of young guys that really haven't done anything in the league. And there's not a Zion Williamson type where you're like, oh, his potential is through the roof, right? You got a Zach Levine. So I look at them, and I'm like, that's interesting. The Pacers are interesting. I'm probably going to say that the New Orleans Pelicans are the best opening, though. I, I, could, I guess I could see – because we're seeing – so Mike D'Antoni just being – uh, just confer- or I guess I say confirming, but just saying he's not coming back to the Houston Rockets after his contract expired, which also, you know, for the low, means that he just coached the last two months for free because his contract actually expired July 1st. He, he may not see New Orleans as as valuable as you and I are because he's 69, right? So he is old, and he may not have the time in his career to watch that thing build and flourish. But well, I would think keep in mind that Alvin Gentry is a D'Antoni disciple. They a, just fired right. that, right? Well, and so that may lead to some, you know, you know, some ruffled feathers. I, I guess I could see why he would turn down that opportunity for Philly, but pretty much for any of these other candidates, right? The Ty Lewis, the Sam Cassells, Mark Jackson, Jason Kidd, Becky Hammond, a lot of these candidates, I would say I would actually think Philly's the better option. You've been on D'Antoni to Indianapolis for a while. Or I say Indiana, I guess. the Indianapolis is the football team. Indiana is the basketball team. Um, we were literally just talking about the Colts a few seconds ago, so give yeah. Walker a break, guys. <laughs> um, I think that if the rosters are set, that Indiana makes more sense for D'Antoni than Philly is. But if if the rosters are flexible, Philly makes more sense for D'Antoni. And so I guess I want to talk a little bit why why haven't we talked more about Chicago or Oklahoma City? Chicago's easy to me because they have young guys that have to prove themselves. So Chicago, to me, it's interesting if you're a coach and looks at those pieces and you say, hey, I could build something here with these guys. But, I mean, it's Kobe White. It's uh, Martinin. So it's it's guys and, who are young. you got to figure out what I can do 
with these young pieces. And Chicago's going to have another high draft pick again this year, which feels like it should be Obi Toppin. I think I've said that already. But um, <laughs> but they're going to get another young piece. And so now it's like, okay, if I like all these young pieces, then can I pull this together? Knowing that Zach Levine is really the vet there. If I go, which to, is crazy, that is which crazy. Like that right? he's a vet is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> that he's I, a vet is wild. If I go to Oklahoma City, for instance, like you mentioned, Oklahoma City, and I don't know, I'm looking at uh, hoopsrumors.com, and the Billy Donovan piece in terms of him not coming back to Oklahoma City is so new that they don't even have rumors about who candidates are for that gig, and D'Antoni to them actually kind of makes some sense. Now the question really is there. How did D'Antoni like Chris Paul? And even if the answer <laughs> is he didn't really care for Chris Paul, they can ship Chris Paul out. There's plenty of teams that will take Chris Paul, including the New York Knicks, which I have no idea why we would, but they would. They would take Chris Paul. But now you got Schroeder, you got Shea Gilgis-Alexander, you got draft picks, you got whatever assets you're going to get for Chris Paul. That feels like a team that D'Antoni could build in his image and likeness. And maybe you even find a way if D'Antoni is the guy to say, well, what can we get for this Steven Adams? Cause he's not quite the fit that I want. Could you do a swap where Steven Adams goes and maybe Steven Adams and one of these draft picks to move up in the draft to get a kid like James Wiseman. I don't know. They, they however could attract the younger coach because of all of that, right? They could get, you know, I guess Sam Cassell isn't like a right out of the league young guy, but like Sam Cassell has, not an old guy in coaching circles at all. And so Sam Cassell could very well be a good candidate there. And Sam Cassell um, might not be a candidate there because he might be taking his Clippers job. The Clippers are now down 10 <laughs> to the Nuggets. <laughs> it is 103.93. Um, we are literally live. We are literally podcasting Doc Rivers' future in L.A. right now. That's what Well, we're and, you know, they would have to lose Game 7 to lose on top of this to be out of the series. And right? there is going to be a Game 7. It is now 106.93. Um, what I will say is that uh, – you know, I think San Cassell or Tyron Lou, one of these guys that's got experience around good franchises in Houston's interesting because I think Harden and Westbrook tend to value guys that have played the basketball game, right? Like played high levels at this game of basketball. And so I think that Ty Lou and having been in the finals himself and been a player with those great Lakers teams himself. And a guy and, who has a championship ring as a coach. Well, and frankly, only one as a coach like he he got fired six games into his first non-lebron season like he 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 was very much involved in that team that was a winning basketball team and so i get that they only beat the warriors in the finals once but you got to get to the finals to have a shot at it and he did that plenty of times the other the other guy is sam cassell who you know if you're thinking about sam cassell in houston you know i there's no gift for the big balls thing he did when he you know, made his big shot or whatever. But the, the funny thing to me is Sam Cassell was kind of around the last time Houston was winning titles. And so there's a name there as well to come back to Houston. Do you think Mark Jackson ends up landing one of these gigs? Dan, Tony doesn't do Pacers. Jackson played for the Pacers. So he has that tie. There's a player who was a winner in Indiana. So maybe that could make some sense. I'm looking at, again, hoopsrumors.com, just trying to see where Mark Jackson's name is coming up. His name doesn't come up amongst the folks in Indiana, which is uh, it's disappointing to me. You talked about a person who could go into a situation like Chicago with younger guys. Mark Jackson did that in Golden State and turned those young guys into winners that Steve Kerr then took to the promised land. Again, his name is not coming up as a rumored coach there. And 
The big rumor there is that Billy Donovan left Oklahoma City because he wants to take the Chicago job. You know, I again, I like Mark Jackson. I know that I like Mark Jackson more than you do. I get the sense based on the rumors that I like Mark Jackson more than everyone in the league does. And so <laughs> I don't know that Mark Jackson is going to be getting a job in this cycle. Back to Getting back to the thesis, because of their youth, we both thought the truth is the best job is New Orleans. Um, that's going to take a very particular kind of person that's willing to go through the early stages and the head bumps that come along with the coaching young kids, but they do have a lot of talent. We also, in getting back to the thesis, did not think Philadelphia was because the roster, we're assuming the roster is not flexible. If the roster were flexible, though, would you agree that Philly is a good opportunity? If you're told that, hey, you got to make it work with, with Simmons and Embiid, that's a tough deal. If you tell me that I come in and listen, I could come in as the coach and feel like, hey, after talking to these guys, I think I can make it work. I just don't want to be married to it. We should say before we hang up the pod, Becky Hammond absolutely could and should get a gig in this crazy NBA offseason, right? She's as been... many gigs that are open, I mean, she's going to get That's what interviews. I mean. That's not going to be a problem. Um, the question is, well, the question is, number one, does she want – I mean, I get that there's only so many NBA jobs, and – Maybe she feels like she could be a little more selective. Like, is she going to want Houston? Is she going to want Philly? Is she going to want Oklahoma City? Uh, I think everyone would want New Orleans. I think everyone would kind of want Philly as well. But um, she might say no to some of these, right? But her name is being thrown around in every single one of those places. Friends, that is another edition of FN Sports. In case you have been following along with the Clippers Nuggets game. It has gone final. The Nuggets 111, the Clippers 98. There will be a game seven. And we might have to go back and do that whole NBA coaching segment again because the Clippers <laughs> are the best opening if Doc loses his job. So, uh, Mr. Ainsworth, where can folks reach out to you on socials to let you know about the best NBA openings or to even give you some condolences in terms of how the Rockets finished the season? <laughs> condolences are great but if you come in with guns ablazing you may get blocked at painsworth 512 <laughs> uh, that's painsworth 512 p-a-i-n-s-w-o-r-t-h 512 all one word on twitter or instagram i'll also respond to the show's twitter uh using dash p-a so that's f-n sports two so f-i-n-s-p-o-r-t-s the number two again i'll use dash p-a Shaka will use dash CC, so you kind of know which one of us you're getting. So, like, if you're asking a bunch of Rockets questions and I just stop responding, you start getting a bunch of dash CCs. Again, that may be on purpose. Um, Shaka, <laughs> we, also, we also have an Instagram. That would be me instigating that Rockets conversation. We, <laughs> we have an Instagram at F underscore N underscore sports. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Shaka Cummings at C-H-A-K-A-C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S. Friends, thank you for listening. Please go out, like, subscribe, share, do all those wonderful things to help out the podcast. And please remember, when it comes to sports, don't bungalow. Later, guys. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.